Apparently, Scotty does know. Oh, that's welcome that's, into that's second good. down on this Monday afternoon. Christian Gokel alongside PJ Zuko. Glad to have you all hanging out with us here as we recap. Very good weekend of sports, I'd say. Above par. Okay. Or yeah. I guess. Well, yeah. Below Above, par. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. an odd one. Interesting. That's... Anyway, either way. Listen, it was a good weekend of sports. There you go. It felt like it, it <laughs> was it was it the magic of having Tiger in contention on a Sunday at Augusta? No. But was it still some some interesting storylines? Absolutely. Did we have the opening weekend of baseball? Yes. Were there plenty of storylines from Braves baseball to get into? Absolutely. Uh, are there some pretty significant ones coming out of Athens to dive into? Absolutely. So we have a lot of things to talk about here, but the first thing we have to talk about, obviously, Augusta. So I'm going to give you uh, the choice here, PJ. Do we want to start with Tiger, or do we want to start with the tournament as a whole? Um, I, I very. Let's start with the tournament, right? Let's let's start with the tournament. I feel like we we gave Tiger. A whole lot of love, whoa, like you said. Whoa, I, think, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think at some point whoa. we're gonna give him some more love for sure. Uh, what, what we saw, just having him make the cut and get through the weekend was incredible. Great to see. But uh, someone else won the tournament, and other other guys had very good showings as well. So yeah, let's talk about the tournament as a whole and and the ones who went out there and he got it done for sure. Like I said, he did. I I think it's incredible what he was able to do. Uh, but uh, let's talk about the winners, you know? All right, so let's talk about Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. Uh, it should be the least surprising uh, of the results that we could have seen because <laughs> he, he came into uh, Augusta National as the number one golfer in the world. And so should have been the favorite, uh, but I think just because there were so many other storylines, right? Uh, John Rahm coming into it as a guy who a lot of people had a lot of expectations for. Obviously, Tiger Woods... Uh, had a majority of the coverage, not a ton of people expected him to win. I think it was. Uh, never, hold on, I'll I'll save my Tiger takes <laughs> for Tiger take time. Uh, but go. again, he came in as the number one ranked player in the world, and if you're just looking uh, at his streak, won the Waste Management Open, uh, the Phoenix Open, uh, came in seventh at the Genesis Invitational won the Arnold Palmer Invitational, tied for 55th at the Players, uh, won the World Golf Championship match play, and then won the Masters. Yeah. So the dude is on fire right now. He's won four out of his past six tournaments, and the other one he came in seventh place. And then again, the weird the weird one at the Players. But again, unbelievable. And then he had a five-shot lead going in to 18. Yeah. So could have made... What five shot lead could have made a nine on that hole, right? And still been tied. Yeah, it was massive. And he gets up there and listen. <laughs> was it a three putt or four putt? I believe he four putted on the green at eighteen. And I would say we've all been there in terms of four putting, but I don't know if we've ever been there in terms of like you already have been so good that you have it in the bag. Yeah, and it doesn't matter that you four putt. It's <laughs> it kind of looked. Uh, I don't know. Like you said, it it at the end of the day, he dominated the weekend so well that he was able to kind of 
And it's so many different things running through your mind, I'm sure, and uh, just the emotion of being there. Like you said, of course you got to be able to finish it out, uh, but knowing you, you were comfortable enough and had a comfortable enough lead to, to be able to sink it there at some point. Um, I do think moments like that, or like you said, four putts like that are, are kind of... three, okay? I might have been wrong. A three putt. There you go, either way. Just th- think about, like, you're out there. It's obviously different implications, right? But then again, everyone wants to win it. Putt, putt. Right? Everyone right. wants to go out there and win a putt, putt. No, it was a four putt. Okay, there you okay, go. I wasn't wrong. You go out, you play some putt putt, right, with your friends, family, whatever. Yeah, I, got, it starts... I got people correcting me on the YouTube saying it was a three putt. No, no four putt. Okay, you Quit start. At me. You start getting competitive, right? And then you, you have a really good shot, and you're like, "All right, I'm going to sink this." You brag a little bit, and then one one putt goes by, second putt goes by, that, then you're starting to get frustrated. You're trying to force it in. Well, see, I don't, I, at that point, I don't think it's frustration. Like he <laughs> no, kind of, he kind of laughed. That's what I'm saying. It reminds yeah. me. I think it's, I think it's more funny than anything. But yeah, no, nah, like you said, I, I mean, I think that was the most impressive part. Obviously, is and probably, you know, people, people look at things like this and they're like, man, this was the expectation. Probably it should have been the expectation uh, with how well he's been playing and and being the number one golfer in the world right now and everything like that. But uh, you know, it, it was insanely impressive to see him dominate throughout the weekend. Really, I I can't think of a time where Scheffler wasn't there at, at the top. I, I know early Thursday, yeah. You know, pro- but at the same time, like once he got a hold of that lead, man, he wasn't looking back. And what's funny about that last hole is, I talk about emotions and everything, but he was cool, calm, and collected basically the the whole weekend. I think that was the most impressive part to me, is that there wasn't a whole lot of you know, crazy nervous shots or anything like that. It, it it just seemed like he was solid, he was in control, and and he was good. And that's what you need. You know, it was one of the most impressive performances, I think, I, we've seen in a while. I, I think it was a really interesting tournament as a whole because, again, you had Tiger and everything that he was doing, but outside of that, uh, you kind of saw three really different or different variations of the weather at Augusta, because you got all the rain that came in before round one. And so playing pretty soft for round one. And so you saw some really good scores. I think it was Charles Schwartzel uh, that really took advantage of that round one and round two. But then really towards the latter stages of round two and into round three, you saw kind of dry and windy at Augusta, a little bit chilly, which obviously made things that much more difficult. And that's kind of where Scheffler started making his move uh, was on Friday, but then really into Saturday, put up some really low scores. And then Sunday, it was it was Sunday at Augusta. It was absolutely perfect. You had all the scenes. It was orange outside by the end of it with the sun setting o- over those big tall pines there uh, at Augusta National. And then I, I do like it when you kind of get the coronation on 18, where there are yeah. some where you come into it, it's like, hey, this person has to hit a par here. Or this person needs a birdie uh, to tie things up, and so it's, those are really fun too. Yeah. But also, there is a cool thing where it's like you know this guy has it in the bag unless something absolutely catastrophic happens, like an OB or something like that. And so you get the coronation; they get to hit the tee shot, which you get into the woods, uh, and then they get to kind of walk up there and, and have the applause. And then as soon as they hit the approach shot anywhere in and around the green, they get the applause, and then you, you finish up the putt. You get to throw the arms in the air or finish up all four putts. Throw the arms in the yeah, air. Eventually. <laughs> right. So, no, I thought, yeah. again, do we have a new star on the horizon? This is something we like to do every time someone wins the Masters, where Hideki had always been around. Like, he'd won some tournaments before that. 
And he was always one of those guys in the top 10 at Augusta. So we kind of knew who he was, but like the, the Jordan Spieths yeah. of the world where it's just like, where the hell did this come from? Mm-hmm. I, I'm always hesitant after the Masters to be like, oh, here, okay, this is the next guy. Yeah. This is the next guy. Even though Scotty Scheffler is on a roll right now, Jordan Spieth went on a little bit of a tear too. Uh, so I'm scared of being like, hey, this is the next guy. Right. So an awesome tournament at the Masters. Uh, it's one of my favorite weeks. Uh, every single year. Uh, let's wrap this up by talking about Tiger. I thought more so than anything, the fact that he was able to complete four rounds just over a year after all of this crazy, maybe 17 months, 17 months. So a little bit more than a year since all of that happened to him, that that car crash didn't know if he was ever going to be able to walk again. And now he just played 72. So like making the cut at Augusta and for, we, we talked about this on Friday, Everyone wanted to point to the injuries and like, oh, that's that's it. He's he's done. I think more so than that, he drove the ball well. His iron game was there for the most part. It's just he got eaten up in and around the greens. And we've seen this before where Tiger Woods and other golfers get hurt, which is the stuff that's the easiest to get back to is driving and your irons. It's where most of the strokes are gained or lost in and around the green that's the hardest thing to get back. And so I thought he looked super clunky there. I think he had the comment uh, after Saturday's round where he said, I put it a million times. Yeah. He just, he could not find his putting stroke. So more so than the injury, I think we're just going to have to see Tiger play more golf before we really see him start getting back to who he could potentially be going forward. Because I don't see any reason why we don't see 2019 Tiger again. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you, you just got to be able to get back back to that that part. And, yeah, we're talking about Tiger Woods, but this this sounds in, insanely human, right? Because it is. You know, we, we love our superstars and our, uh, you know, like our athletes that just transcend, you know, everything you you think people can do. And sometimes there, there's just humanizing moments like this. And, you know, it, it's like you said, and like I was talking about earlier, it's an impact insanely incredible um, feat that he was able to get out there, play throughout the whole weekend. Yeah, limp some in there. Yeah, some makes some pains here and there. But he was able to tough it out and, and look good in, in a lot of different situations in a lot of different ways. Uh, but, you know, it's it's just like anyone else having, having time off, especially time like this. Right. Where we had got to rehab for so long and, and a massive injury like this. Everything's not just going to come back immediately. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's again, there's practice and there's practice rounds and things like that, and then there's going out and doing it at, at the Masters with the fans, with with the crowds that we saw. And, you know, there, there is added pressure there for sure. I mean, I think that can affect anybody. So I know it's Tiger Woods. Do you think it was pressure, though? I think pressure, it was a though? lot of different things. Do you think, no, no, I'm not saying, like, pressure causing it, but, like, do you yeah. think, like, the atmosphere there was pressure? Or because the vibe that I kind of got from this weekend was more support from like the course yeah. from everybody that from the fans that were there. Like typically you see Tiger Woods after he goes, I think he shot like a, yeah, his highest ever round at the masters. He's not laughing in the post round interview mm-hmm. and he was kind of laughing. So I think more so than pressure from this week, I think he kind of felt like the joy and just like the overall appreciation and happiness from the fans that were there and uh, definitely on social media, but also the fans that were there. I I think more so than that, I can't speak for how he felt, but just reading his body language and reading 
yeah, just kind of how he spoke after those rounds. I, I don't think it was pressure that he felt. I think it was more appreciation. Now, as a competitor, can he be extremely frustrated with himself and put pressure on himself? Yeah, but I don't know yeah. that there was any external pressure on Tiger Woods this weekend. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. I, I get what you mean for sure. And and that, yeah, makes a lot of sense for sure. I'm, I'm just thinking of, you know, the average athlete or, or competitor getting back into the arena, right? Getting back into the ring of things. And, and having all those eyes on you, having, having everybody there wanting you. And, yeah, there was plenty of support, like you said. That, that was incredible, too. A part of me does think, though, that was, that was kind of a sign of, of where he was at, though, too, is, like you say, yeah. they, they are supporting him man out there and him, him laughing in the post-round interview and stuff. But if he's in contention, if he's feeling like he normally is, he's, like you said, he's not laughing in, right. in those post-round interviews, too. So, like you said, building back to it and, and – I think that's incredible. I think one of the things you talk about the pressure and, and maybe that not being a point, I think something that we all can look to and, and say was pretty huge, but again, I think was even more impressive that he got through is the two days, Friday and Saturday, where the weather was not great. It was cold. It was windy, uh, which we know. Yeah. Everyone knows who has injuries and everything like that in your past. That's normally when it aches you the most or surgeries and, and whatnot. Uh, that's normally when that aches you the most and, and oh, yeah. pains I don't think, you the most. I don't think so. it was a, a coincidence that the third round was probably his worst because For sure, yeah. like they always say you're you're the most sore two days after. And so two days after grinding out a really great first round, the fact that he goes out there, it's cold, it's windy, and yeah, that body was probably starting to ache. The hilly course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. So, that, again, just the fact that he pushed through that and was able to get through it without withdrawing or anything like that is is a huge sign for me and is a big positive. Uh, takeaway from this weekend. So, yeah, yeah, insanely impressed with what he was able to do. I'm with you on that. We already have some Reds fans or, I guess, Braves downers uh, in the mentions because we put out the, the title of the show, Scheffler wins the Masters, Braves split series with the Reds. We also we have an also written Reds spoil opening championship week. I don't know if a split is spoiling, but there's definitely some things to be concerned about. I think if you're an Atlanta Braves fan, uh, specifically – with that pitching staff and, and one guy we saw over the weekend. Also, one guy had a phenomenal opening weekend for the Atlanta Braves, so we'll talk about that. Also, some news out of Athens uh, to dive into from over the weekend and how that impacts not just G-Day, uh, but this team going forward. This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. If you mention any portion of our show, you can check it out on ESPNCoastal.com. We're always streaming live there uh, with our Listen Live tab. And, of course, you can see us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, as Rich Tile says, you know, wherever we are, we are. You can get us there. Get out there. So we're going to talk some Braves when we get come back. They split around. the opening series with the Reds. Got the Nationals coming in tonight. The Nationals are 1-3 uh, on the season, but also very important because, like BJ says, even if it's early, every game counts. And these are division games coming up this week for the Braves. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about it next right here on Second Down. An interesting opening weekend in Atlanta for the World Series champion, Atlanta Braves champion week. Are, are they still wearing the gold trimmed? Is it still Champions Week? Are they going to be wearing the gold trimmed uniforms? I don't know, man. I hope they do that all year. Uh, like, wouldn't that be kind of cool? I I think you you go back to the original uniform, but if you want to keep yeah, the right. uh, if you want to keep the insignia like on the sleeve, I think that's fine. Yeah, and I think the uh, I'm not a huge fan of the hat. The uh the the Braves hat with like it's the regular Braves hat, but it's got the gold trim around the A. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think it's the one of the best hats in Major League Baseball. And now you're kind of True. making it look like uh the hat your dad buys. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like no. it's got it's got a velcro <laughs> it's got a velcro back strap on it. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's yeah. like it's one of those stores where it's like, yeah, it's I got a Braves hat. And it's like, Dad, that's not the Braves emblem. And he's like, yeah. well, it's close. Well, yeah, uh, right. Okay. No, but I'm with you. I actually said that. That came out of my mouth, and I was like, nah, that's too much. So, and then, like, on <laughs> the uh, the helmets, I think they tried to make the A gold, Ooh. but it looks more like every single person is using pine tar, and so they have, like, dirty helmets. <laughs> right. like, that's what I thought yeah. in the first couple times, so I was like, okay, pine what tar. What's going on there? Yeah. All right, pine tar. Pine tar. All right, All right more dirt, pine tar. Dirt build up. Like, what's yep. going on there? Yeah, so... But no, just they try to make the A gold and just kind of look dirty. Uh, oh, we're so, trying something. We're just not yeah. washing so we the don't, helmets We don't anymore. know what they're doing tonight uh, against the Nationals. We do know what happened uh, this past weekend. The Braves take two out of four from the Reds, split that series. They're obviously lost uh, opening night uh, to the Reds. Lost both games, actually. Book ended by six to three losses there. And I think the worrisome thing for the Braves, or Braves fans, I should say, are the performances by a couple of starters that you're really going to have to rely on. Now, one of them, Max Freed, watched that one, and to me, it was more bad luck than anything. And I know we talked about this, where it was just those really soft bloop singles from the Reds where they were like 60-mile-an-hour hits, yeah. where on average, usually if you're getting singles in baseball, they're up near 100 miles an hour right. with the exit velocity. And so the Reds were hitting some bloopers, but Ian Anderson got roughed up. And a lot of it was his own doing. He just couldn't locate. And that's what's crazy to me is if, if you put out the potential starters for the Atlanta Braves and you're like, hey, here's one guy. There's going to be one guy out there who's just going to go out there and pitch, not worry about trying to be super tight with his location, but just going to go out there and throw is I'd be like, okay, Charlie Morton will be number one because he's a dude who's just going to pound the strike zone. And then number two for me would be Ian Anderson. Because I know Max Freed kind of runs into it a lot uh, with where he tries to locate a lot. But when he came on his start, he was gunning that thing in there. First couple of innings, he was up near 98. Uh, and then with Kyle Wright, he's also a guy who gets himself into trouble because he just he tries to be super tight with his pitches and he starts walking people. And then he gets nervous and he keeps doing it. And eventually they're just like, don't even swing. This guy's going to put us on uh, and do something stupid. So yeah. Ian Anderson going out there with that performance last night, I think it's concerning, and I, I was talking to Kevin about this, and he's like, nah, you can't be overly concerned. It's it's too early. Kevin is always the person who is saying, listen, you just need to calm down. Everything's going to be fine. I'm the person, and I kind of agree with BJ, where I was like, if I start seeing trends or every game counts, you got you to gotta be worried about some stuff. Yeah. And the fact that Ian Anderson, back in spring training, his last couple starts weren't great, and then the one really before the season started was terrible. Now you back that up with this performance where, again, a terrible performance. I think it's okay to start being worried a little bit. I mean, you are pretty thin when it comes to starting pitching. Right. Kyle Wright is your number three starter. Yeah. Say that sentence <laughs> last year to a Braves fan, and, and they're having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. It's good to have Waskar. You know it back. He's going to take the mound tonight. Uh, but, I mean, early in the season – one major concern for me would be the fact that Ian Anderson has not looked good, and he's a guy that you're definitely counting on. He was one of those ones you penciled in. I mean, two and two-thirds innings, three hits, five runs, five earned runs, five walks. Yeah. So in two and two-thirds, five walks, 74 pitches, only 39 strikes. Right, right. Yeah, and, and like you said, you, you have certain guys you feel like you need to be able to count on and, and lean on, and, and he's certainly one of those, and... As you said, uh, I think 
that I can see both sides, right? Uh, is it time to, to start getting a little worried? It, it, sure. Uh, I mean, are you, you, you want to see a good send, start. Are you going to send no. Ian Anderson down? No. I'm not saying that. But no. is it okay to be concerned? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, especially with it would be different, again, like you said, is if through spring trading we saw some some ups and downs and some really solid pitching outings. And like you said, uh, it, you know, it's it's been a little bit more of the down. And then you come out, you have your, your first start of the year, and you get blasted, really, uh, pr- pretty roughed up there last night. And so, sure, it's it's good to, to keep an eye on that, and hopefully it makes some, you know, make some changes, and hopefully he gets some, some things sorted out moving forward. Uh, but, again, every game does count. I'm very, like, with, with the math, right? Like, yeah. I'm very much with BJ with that. Like, of course, BJ kind of can be a pessimist here and there. So or I'm not, a fatalist. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Like, I'm not trying to go that route by any means. But, no, if this continues. Oh, BJ he, was ready to scrap the season last year oh, if they started at 0-4. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And d- d- no one wanted to. <laughs> you know how it was when it also it was back and forth every single day. And, I mean, there was a lot of us that were like that, though, too. But, uh, you know, he can kind of go to okay. a, another well, level. I, I don't want to, like, because I want to kind of defend our fatalism here, and maybe not so much with the result. I think two and two in a series is fine. Bobby Cox always said, baseball, yeah. you're going to win a third, you're going to lose a third. Yeah. It's what you do with the third in the middle that counts. And, again, I told you this last week, with the shortened spring training, this first week was going to be rough exactly. for everybody. But the more concerning thing are when you dive into the stats. Uh, this is from Mark Bowman uh, on MLB.com. So over the weekend, Ian Anderson, in his two and two-thirds, he averaged 93 miles an hour on his fastball. That's down from 94.6 on his fastball in 2020 and 2021. Why is that important? Because, I mean, it's still it's only a couple miles an hour. It's because Ian Anderson is a change-up pitcher. That's what he counts on. And the biggest thing that you want to make your change-up effective is a difference in velocity between your fastball and your change-up. And last night... It was 5.7 miles an hour, which isn't a ton right. in Major League Baseball versus the past couple years where that's been 8 to 9 miles an hour, Yeah, which is the difference between these guys pulling the ball for a single versus swinging and missing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that is something to be concerned about here if you're the Braves. But what you don't have to be concerned about is Matt Olson. We were talking all year about or all offseason, really, about the replacing Freddie Freeman, maybe the best hitting first baseman in baseball. I would hear arguments for Vlad Guerrero Jr. I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. is probably the best first baseman in baseball. But Freddie Freeman, clear-cut number two. All right, what's this guy going to do in his homestand? Well, you know, just hit a home run, score four runs, yeah, bat 571, pretty, have a slugging percentage of 929, yeah, that's pretty OPS good. of 1.576. Oh, yeah. 13 total bases. Right. Three walks. Yeah, that's that's huge. Two it's, doubles. It's just having the possibility, right? Yeah. It, having the po- Getting on base, and, and of course... Well, that's what Freddie Freeman was so good, and then all I, heard yeah, about, exactly. all I heard about Matt Olson is, okay, he's not Freddie Freeman, but he hits bombs. Like, <laughs> yeah. Dude's batting 571 and had 13 total bases exactly. over the weekend. Yeah, so that's huge. Giving, giving your teammates the possibility to drive you in. Uh, like you said, I mean, that's 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 kind of what it's all about. Again, that's that's what... Freddie made a living on for for a long time. Of course, he had some power too, and can do a lot of different things. But uh, no, that that is that is huge to me, and that's kind of what I was looking forward to with him. So being able to see that throughout the weekend, hopefully, you see that continue. And, I'll take it. 
of course, want to see more of those home runs. Who doesn't? But uh, I'm, I'm kind of more of a, a small ball kind of person. And just in any way necessary, right, whether it's, it's identifying pitches and being able to, to, to get walks, which I think is huge, or just be, being able to hit well, obviously, and, and you know, find the gap and, and get on base, that's big too. But uh, he's just doing it a lot of different ways already, and that's certainly insanely impressive to me. And hopefully uh, any Braves fans that had any big questions or anything like that, now you have to be consistent with this. You have to keep it up. Obviously that, that batting average is going to regress here some. You don't, you're not going to see that stay up there. But at the same time, you want this to be consistent. Then again, hopefully a lot of people that had questions and weren't nervous about how this fit was going to work. PJ, I'm not trying to say anything. I'm not good. trying to say anything, but Freddie Freeman has played three games so far. Uh-oh. Batting 167, just two hits, and one walk. Let's not let's not do this. I'm just I'm just putting stats uh, out there. That's fine. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just putting stats out there. Let's not keep this. This is an unhealthy. No, we're going to be doing this the whole time. This is an unhealthy way to... Progress after heartbreak. I'm doing this is. all year. I'm doing this all year. This is like, all long. I'm saying is if if uh, if you're on IG looking at you know going to the X's profile, I mean that's probably not no, no. healthy. Here's the thing: is our <laughs> whether profile, they're doing good or not. No, our profile, ton of fun stories from the weekend. Had a great time. Yeah, but that's bunch, the thing. No, no, bunch of if likes. If it's that good, then stay there. No, bunch of likes, bunch of mentions, and then we <laughs> go over to the old X's IG, and it's mighty quiet over there. Mighty quiet on the old <laughs> IG story. Must, nice quiet weekend in Jeez. is what it sounded like over there. Those so be good a mixed bag for Braves fans. I think it's okay to feel a little bit of trepidation uh, going in, but we got the Nats coming in for this week. And I think, listen, you got Nationals and you hit the the you hit the West Coast. Going to go take on the Padres. So some fun games coming nice up. Trip, yeah. Listen, you got over five hundred already. Right. We don't have to wait until after the All-Star break this year. Thank goodness, yeah. Right? I think it was, Kevin, was it August or October before the Braves got over 500? August? August, yeah. No, it was August. August. I remember August. It, it was, it was my, my birth, basically my whole birthday month. Or, yeah, that's my birthday. And like so July, all through the All-Star break, you make all those moves mm-hmm. and whatnot. And then kind of it, it turned turned the calendar. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty August, sure they went over 500 and then immediately went back to 500 and below 500. By a couple of games, but yeah. we, they had gotten above 500. Yeah, it was so above. Hey, listen, them, yeah. you're already, you've already, you've already done that this year. You don't have to worry about that. Now the Nationals are coming to town. You got old Waskar Inoa, who was really good last year until he decided to get into a fight with an inanimate object. So right, I'm actually really excited to to kind of see to what, watch what he old can do Waskar. coming back from that. Yeah, because I, I think he's filthy. He was I mean, really he was playing really well when yeah. that happened. He's filthy, and outside of uh, the closers, the bullpen's been nasty uh, for the Braves. Kenley Jansen did his best to blow one. Uh, and so did Will Smith. So outside of the closers, I want to rewind things. Like I don't know. I, I feel like it was you know three or four years ago. What well, the bullpen was just kind of in shambles. Like every day well, it was I mean, like oh they blew another. If you want to go blew another lead. If you want to go four or five years ago, then just I mean there was a, there the was Braves a lot of were things. in shambles. There was a lot of things uh, in but, shambles. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. only focused on the future. If you want to go about the past, we stopped the past in November when the Braves won the World Series. That's, there you go. That's as far back. Uh, as we go, let's take a quick break. We got some news to get into out of Athens. Uh, some big time names hitting the transfer portal there from the Bulldogs. How does it affect this team going into G Day uh, and then getting ready for summer ball? We'll dive into it next, right here on Second Down. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel alongside PJ Zuko. Glad to have y'all hanging out with us here on this Monday afternoon. 
G-Day this weekend. And I know a lot of fans with their eyes focus on that quarterback room, even though I think Kirby Smart's pretty much put to bed any notion that anyone other than old Stetson Bennett the fourth is going to be out there slinging that rock around. So as a starting quarterback, I should say, there's still going to be some guys at G-Day throwing the football around, but old Stetson Bennett's going to be the guy come September 3rd against Oregon in Atlanta, but a good chance to see some other quarterbacks out there. I think the storyline uh, with this team has become not replacing guys on the defensive line, uh, even though uh, one of the guys we thought was going to be and probably still will be, but it's gotten himself into legal trouble. Uh, Warren Brinson is kind of having to work his way back into the good graces. So that's a storyline. But this past week has made one position group extremely concerning and to me the biggest storyline around Georgia going into 2022 and that is the offensive line group now you have seen two five-star guys hit the portal in the past week one of those uh Amarius Mims who has been with the team for two years now uh, and put his name in the portal over the weekend and there were some rumors that this was going to happen really this past week or so when he wasn't with the team uh, also joining him are Owen Condon and then fellow five-star Clay Webb. So you went from a group that might have been one of your deepest groups on the entire team to now all of a sudden you're trying to figure out what these offensive line groups are going to look like going into G-Day. Now, do you have enough guys to rock with going towards a season where I feel comfortable saying it's one of the best offensive lines in college football? Yeah. Are you now one rolled ankle, right, one knee away from all of a sudden this becoming a very limited group. Also, yes. So you went, like I said, from having a group that's really strong to a group that is strong, but also you bet you better pray they stay healthy. Now, what does the starting lineup look like right now? Uh, this is from our good friend Brooks Austin, who joined us on the show last week. Right now, it, it looks like it'd be Broderick Jones at left tackle, Devin Willock at left guard, Cedric Van Pran. Uh, at center, Xavier Truss uh, at right guard, and then Warren McClendon rock, rocking at that right tackle spot. So that's your starters right now. Then the second line is where things get really interesting. Dar Dylan Fairchild uh, is obviously on there. Then a couple guys from the 9-1-2 have found themselves right now on the two deep for mm -hmm. Georgia, one of those being Micah Morris, uh, former Camden County standout, and the other one, Austin Blasky from South Effingham, who is becoming a pretty key signing from a couple years back uh, right. for this Georgia football team because it looks like he's going to be playing some significant snaps, at least as just a rotational guy to give somebody a breather if they need it. Austin Blasky looks like he's going to be taking some uh, really important snaps, and he's actually kicked out to a tackle position where they've had him moving around at guard. He's kicked out to a tackle position. Micah Morris playing more of that uh, guard spot, rotating a little bit at center, but for the most part working at left guard, or right guard for this team. And he, to me, if you're talking about a guy who's going to be rotating in, he would probably be the first guy off that second group that you see getting there because he can pretty much play anywhere across the offensive line. And so Micah Morris's role just got real important. Now, huge, yeah. Yeah, I will say this uh, with this team, you are still waiting for Tate Ratledge to get back, who was a starter for this team in the Clemson game and then had that lower leg injury and is still working his way back from that. So once he gets back, you feel a little bit more comfortable. But to me, this seems like you had some guys like a Clay Webb who had been there for, I believe he's three years uh, at Georgia. And eventually you're like, I, I want to play. Yeah, he was a junior going into this year. I want to play. 
Yeah. And it just it didn't look like it was going to happen. Clay Webb came to them as a center. Cedric Van Pran has locked down that center spot. Uh, Marius Mims, I think it's very much the same. He is 6'7", 330 pounds, freaky, freaky kind of dude out of Bleckley County, right? And he wants to play. Only problem is he's behind Broderick Jones, who a lot of people are saying is similar to an Isaiah Wilson kind of strong, but like Andrew Thomas kind of good, right? which it's going to be hard to beat that. And then the guy nobody really expected to be as good as he is is Warren McClendon, Right. who has just put a stranglehold on that right tackle position, and he's yeah. not going anywhere until he decides to leave. True. And so I think these guys kind of saw the writing on the wall and said, I want to play, and I'm not going to start with this offensive line. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's just, I think, this is the new world of, of college football as a whole. And does every college football team have this luxury? No. Uh, but that, that comes with great recruiting and, and getting these guys in there. But... Uh, every team's going to, not every team, but a lot of teams, especially at the top, are going to have these moments where the room just gets a little bit a little bit too full. And especially when, when you're talking about offensive, defensive linemen, that room can get full quick. But, uh, no, all, all jokes aside, but, I mean, yeah, that's, that's just where we're at. I think this is something maybe we expected more from the quarterback position, or maybe we, maybe we could in, in the future, especially if, Sesson keeps locking down what he's able to do, and, and there's more separation between those guys. But, uh, no, I, I think, one, this is kind of where we're at in college football, where these guys still, you look back and still probably made the best move for them. I mean, I've, I've told you guys, not told you guys, but talked with you guys around the office about the idea of guys going to places like Alabama and, yeah. and Georgia and maybe even knowing I might not get on the field. But if I can go there and learn and progress and, and have the best facilities in the world, uh, fed fed the best things I, I, I think can. That's the important note is you, of, get to get, you get to get that nutrition program yeah. into that strength program. So even if you're not playing, they're going to turn you into a mutant. Exactly. Yeah. And then once you get that urge of, you know what, I'm an athlete and I'm a competitor and I want to play college football. Winning national championships from the bench is great. Yeah, but I want to go out well, there and well, do it. I, so, I, I gotta go get some can't tape. Can't blame them one day. I gotta get exactly. some tape. I yeah, want to go too. pro. That too. I gotta get some tape. I know sure. Owen Condon, a guy who had been with the team for a while as well. He's transferred out. SMU uh, is where he landed up. So it's like obviously it's a step down in terms of the relevancy of the program, but you get to go be on tape. There you go. And yeah, I think that's fine. And I, I, there have been some rumblings about Amarius Mims in Florida State, <laughs> and I know uh, the revolving door there. And I'm not talking about. Like in terms of players leaving, I'm talking about literally the offensive line is a revolving door, letting people through. Uh, I think Amarius Mims would probably start immediately uh, at Florida State. So there are some interesting notes there uh, around the offensive line, but I, I do think it'll be okay. And the other thing to note uh, is Georgia, 85 scholarships is the limit. And Georgia is above that right now. So there were going to be some moves like this anyway. And if there was a position group where you could take a hit with some backups leaving, I think offensive line group was probably it. Obviously, it hurts, right? I think the offensive line group was it. And then if you start looking around saying, okay, what other position group has players where they just aren't going to play and they're really good players and they could play somewhere else and it would suck to lose them, but that's just the reality of a scholarship limit. I think it's the quarterback position. Yeah. And so I would kind of buckle up and wait once spring ball is over. I think you're going to start seeing some movement, seeing some more guys head out. And again, that's just the reality of college football because I guarantee you, Georgia wants to dip into the transfer portal, but right now they can't mm-hmm. because they don't have any open spots. Yeah. So 
again, it, it stinks to lose guys, but that's the reality of recruiting at this level. Uh, I mean, go look at what Alabama and Ohio State lose every year. Or it's just, yeah. I mean, one of the best quarterbacks ever, and I'd hear arguments for best quarterback ever, Joe Burrow, couldn't get on the field at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Right? And because he was sitting behind like four other five-star quarterbacks. Yeah, and you yeah, can't just, blame them. Yeah, yeah. And you, can, and you so. can't play all of them at the same time. So right. you're going to see guys like this leave, but I would prepare for some more. Yeah. I guess is what I'm saying with Georgia. And then then once that happens, you'll start seeing the transfer portal activity because this is happening at every other school across America right now. Georgia's going to find a position group where they're like, okay, we need a guy, whether that's a, a wide receiver or a defensive back or a linebacker or a defensive lineman, something like that. We need a guy. Let's go jump into the portal and, and snatch him out like we did with Darian Kendrick last year and Tyke Smith. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, and like you said, this is this is all part of it. And, you know, you, you, you this is the the time it's going to happen too. like those, those rosters start getting more and more defined and yeah. you, st- you start seeing more solidified of, of situations like, man, this is looking like this is going to be the guy I'm, I'm right here. I, so this, this makes a lot of sense. And at the same time, like you'd rather be dealing with this than not, because yeah. if you're not, that means you, you probably don't have that depth to be able to play with it. That's the funny thing is you started yeah, talking Mary's about that. Yeah, ain't leaving if you start. Exactly. That, that's one of the funny things that, that you start talking about and I my mind automatically goes to is Alabama uh, yeah. because I think everyone's trying to build to, to get to where they are, and I think Georgia is certainly right there at this point, but because of that, you, you're going to have these situations. So now you've got to have that too deep, like you said, those those guys. Well, there. realistically, how many offensive linemen do you think you need? Because I I think if you go back and look, I would say maybe eight guys yeah, played a vast eight. majority of the snaps for Georgia last year. Yeah, and it's because you do need guys that are going to be able to go in there and give somebody a breather. But for the most part, I think as a coach, you feel good if you have your five guys and then a couple of other guys who can just slide in there. For sure, and I think Georgia clearly has that right now, and you'll have even more when some of the guys who are banged up get back. Yeah, and if, if you're using more of that, you're you're probably just having insanely bad injury Correct. trouble throughout the year, which, of course, you don't want. Of course, it can happen. But, yeah, probably seven or eight guys, and especially when you have utility guys, as yeah. you talked about, that can kind of slide in uh, wherever you need them to be. So, you know, kind of expected. at the, You'd love to keep all of them, but you're not going to. Yeah. You just got to make sure that, yeah, those those guys on the 2D are ready to go when they get their opportunity and. We'll see more of that in, the, in in G Day and see how it works out. Gotcha. Again, Georgia loses some depth there across the offensive line, but still a really deep position group. Now we just have to kind of wait and see what it's going to look like with some of these. I'd say watch the quarterback room uh, and some of these other position groups because you are going to see some more guys hit that transfer portal, uh, and then you're going to see Georgia definitely dip in and pick out a couple of players they feel like they need uh, for their 2022 run. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. This is second down on ESPN Radio. PJ, I have a question before you before we we head out for the day. Okay, yeah, what's up? Has anybody ever had to eat a bigger turd sandwich than what Frank Vogel is being forced to eat right now? It's pretty huge. Like, hey, you get it's to coach big. LeBron, but you don't get to make any decisions. He gets complete control over roster decisions for this team, and then when it doesn't work, he's just gonna like not play anymore until the end of the season and when you miss the playoffs and then we're just going to fire you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 pretty rough. And then he gets all the So why can't you make why can't you make this team play better? Why can't you take this team that LeBron constructed and and just hey, make just make if them I'm better. Frank Vogel, I'm like because we had one that worked 
And then you guys changed everything. <laughs> Just make them better, Frank. What in the world? Although, I mean, I don't know. None of, none of it was great this year. And then the best, the best, a lot well, of the it best should is be the quote. Out, I know so. we got to go. LeBron on LA's roster changes, not my decision. Yeah. Okay. Really? Because right. Magic Johnson. Uh, no, no, um, he's not there anymore. Yeah. We got we to get out of here. The guys with three and out will be back tomorrow. We will see everyone tomorrow as well.